You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Bengals podcast, second episode, well, third episode of 2018 after yesterday's Marvin Lewis news. I'm James Erpine. On Twitter, at James Arpine, at Locked on Bengals. Make sure you check out LockedOnBengals.com for some thoughts, player reaction to Marvin Lewis's new contract. And before we dive into it, we're about 60 seconds away from being joined by Joe Goodberry, who's on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. So stay tuned for that. I have a feeling we're going to be talking long and, and diving into the, this Marvin Lewis thing. But first, I wanted to play you. I was at Marvin Lewis's press conference today. It lasted about 40 minutes asked him a couple questions. These are the ones I asked him. The entire thing is, is anywhere if you want to suffer through the 40 minutes that I did. But here's Marvin Lewis, uh, me and Marvin Lewis talking earlier today during his press conference at Paul Brown Stadium. So what are you going to change to get that job done? I can't tell you. No. Yeah, we have to change. Uh, I've, I've gone through it. We need to be better at what we do. And, uh, you know, we're going to have changes on our staff. Uh, we're going to have to gain some better players. We're going to have to look to augment what we do uh, with we have right now on the football team, and, and maybe we're going, to, we're going to have to do a little better and do a better job of maybe adding some guys from other clubs. And uh, so because we have to, and then we have to look at that as we go into the draft and, and make sure, you know, if this the draft isn't strong in this area, then make sure we take care of it prior to the draft. And I think that's important as well. So, um you know, I think those are the things. And, I, and I, again, at the end of the day, it comes down to us coaching better and our players going out and playing better. When they run onto that field and they leave that boundary of what they get done out on the field and understanding the competitiveness of it. So being more active in free agency is something that, that you discussed? Well, I don't know that it means being more active. I don't know how many we added last year, but make sure if we can't add someone that helps, we add them. That was earlier today at Paul Brown Stadium. Marvin Lewis discussing free agency, discussed Andy Dalton, announced that Bill Lazor was returning, and a bunch to react to and to discuss it is Joe Goodberry. On Twitter, at Joe Goodberry joins us now. Joe, 18 more years of Marvin. How you doing, man? <laughs> 18 more. All right, that's about double what we've had, I guess. I know. Um, I, it <laughs> seems like forever already. Um I'm okay. I mean, I think I feel like everyone else is like, come on, are we ever going to get out of this cycle? Are we ever going to try anything new? Um, you know, and then another part of me is like, okay, just another day. Let's see how this team can improve. Yeah, it, it, it's just, it's crazy to me. Like, I, and I don't want to buy it like the free agency thing, just because I feel like it's something I've heard before. I feel like it's something they've discussed. I feel like we've brought back Marvin or we've seen Marvin come back with a goal. Like today he mentioned championship more so in, in the other day on Monday than he had in, in probably the past two or three years. And it's because he, he flips the narrative. Like I, I get the idea that Marvin Lewis wanted more control in, in the public eye. Some view it as, oh yeah, Marvin wants more control because of Mike Brown. And I understand that. But at the same time, I don't know if he's deserved enough to earn or done enough to deserve that extra control. Yes, I agree with you on that. Um, a lot of there's a lot of good points I thought were made for for people that were there's a lot of comments out there and I, I read a lot of them and and the one that kept coming up was it's it's a win for Marvin to get more control uh, from Mike Brown, but at the same time, why couldn't that control have been given to the next coach that could potentially be better than Marvin? 
And I think that's probably the best perspective because um, I think a lot of people would agree that updating the Bengals, how they do things, is still far behind uh, a lot of the best franchises. So updating them, getting them to, to spend money, not only just on free agents, but on themselves, making themselves a first-class organization, somewhere uh, free agents want to go, some, a place where players want to play. Uh, it's all part of it. And they have made strides, especially since Marvin got here. But it definitely hasn't been enough. I, I think we, everyone would agree on that. So anytime they take steps towards being a first-class organization, and while they didn't announce anything that would lead us to believe this, it, it kind of seems that that's what Marvin wanted. And, and Marvin has talked about it almost every time he's extended. And, and it does seem like every time he gets a little bit more of from Mike Brown's strong grip of what he believes he's doing with his franchise. Um, and if he gets a little more, that's good. But at the same time, we have run this course with Marvin. And I think we are all just completely tired and just want the chance at something new. We understand the grass isn't always greener. I think everybody understands that. But we're willing to risk it and see if it's greener. There's just a good chance that they end up with a worse coach as it is that they end up with a better coach. Because, to be honest, the Bengals have a middling head coach in Marvin Lewis. And they've wasted good rosters, and they may have – kept Marvin over better head coaches that are out there in the NFL right now. And because of that, it has put a, a, a clock on this, you know, and it's been 15 years, but at the same time, he's reset it so many times throughout his, his 15 years here that now it's accelerated to the point where fans were ready. Everyone was ready to move on and it didn't happen. And it was like, it was a punch to the gut. Yeah, it, it was, it was, it's a, that's a perfect way to describe it. A punch to the gut, because if not now, then when? Like, if this wasn't the time when no assistants were under contract, when there was the perfect way, it was a perfect PR storm, fans would have been on board with it. Uh, Marvin Lewis probably would have interviewed in Arizona, like I heard he, he was potentially going to do. Like, there were so many different things that made sense, and yet, at the end of the day, it seems like Marvin went in there and said, well, you want me, Mike, even though everything points to you moving on from me and vice versa, I'll stay here, but I want this, this, and this. And that sounds good, but to me, it just shows you that Mike Brown is scared to take a risk. He's scared to risk losing out or missing out on Marvin, someone he's comfortable with. And it probably has to do with his age. He's 82 years old, probably yeah. doesn't want to deal with a lot of change. When he hired Marvin, he was 67. <laughs> and he went through a lot of change. He probably doesn't want to go through that again and, and a bunch of different things that he has to do at 82. I think that's a, a big part of this. And I'm not 82, but I imagine if I get there, I would think about my time left, I guess. And not only just running the franchise in an organization, but I guess your time left on this planet. And um, no, I'm not saying he, he feels that way, but let's say you're at that point in your life. And do you want to start over? Do you want to go with somebody you don't know? Listen, they're scared of outside free agents. Think about outside coaches. Well, the only names we heard of were former coaches that the Bengals could be interested in. And I think that says everything. It's right along the lines of how this franchise is operated. And if Mike Brown is really looking at the clock and saying, you know, I don't know how much longer I'm going to do this. Um, I think he would like to do it with a coach he knows. I think he would do, like to do it within a structure that he's comfortable with. Um, and Marvin has have, have gained Mike Brown's trust, it seems. And he's, you know, when he requests something, when he fights for something, Mike Brown has slowly allowed him to, to 
upgrade facilities or expand coaching department or coaching staff and and scouting departments. Um, and it's it's slowly has happened, but Mike Brown has done that when he hasn't had the ability to, or really had the coach that it's been, that's been good enough to do it with before and, and relinquish some of that control to the coach. And what I think happened is I, it really sounded like Marvin was gone, and, and it sounds and I think you thought that way too when we talked the last couple of weeks. This was Marvin's last game in Baltimore, and. For whatever reason, the players played hard these last two weeks, really hard. They looked good. They won. I think the players showed that they will play hard for Marvin, that they still really like Marvin Lewis as their head coach. And a lot of them, it's the only head coach they've known, so I understand it. Um, if you look at the Rams last year, they were really high on, on Jeff Fisher. The players were. They were upset to see Jeff Fisher go. And it's just how players are. You like your your – your boss, you like your head coach. If you if if he's a player's coach, if you feel like you're building something and, and it is left unaccomplished, so it, it makes sense that the players have rallied around Marvin. Um, and I think Mike Brown thought about all of these scenarios and and the idea of starting over brand new. Did he didn't like that at all? Marvin came in. They had to talk at the end of the year as they would if, uh, from a coach that's been there 15 years. You would have that talk. You wouldn't just fire him. You'd probably you know where do we go from here, Marvin, with or without you? And it sounded like Marvin had some requests, and he wanted, and what I think he wanted was the ability to have more say in who his coaches are. And we saw the next day, Paul Alexander is out, and I think that was a big one. From things I've heard from you know players and coaches, uh, that's somebody that want, they a lot of them wanted out of here, and it happened. I think he wanted free agency to be conducted differently. And I think a lot of fans felt that same way. It's something we've seen the past two years. You can look directly at free agency and say that's the reason they've had two consecutive losing seasons, whether it was no doubt. at the receiver position or on the offensive line. They've botched the offseason two years in a row. And that includes bringing guys in. You don't think of a guy like Kevin Minter this year, give him $4.5 million, and he barely plays. And when he does, he is limited to base defense as a run-stopper, he definitely wasn't worth that money, even if he stayed healthy all year. It's just things like that where they will spend a little bit on a replacement-level player and not get the return or the production that they lost in somebody. And it happened at wide receiver. They've done it on the offensive line and other positions over the 15 years. So I think that was something he definitely wanted. And the way he talked and answered about free agency today, and he's talked about free agency before, because I believe Marvin has always wanted to dip into free agency a little bit more, but it's not always up to him. It's not, he's not the one signing contracts. He's not the one offering money. That's Katie. That's Mike Brown. That's maybe a little bit of Duke Tobin um, as being the personnel guy. But I don't think Marvin's as involved in that stuff. I know he can say, listen, we got to have Andrew Whitworth here. But when the team ends up offering him a one-year deal without, with you know, not as much guaranteed money as the Rams are going to offer, plus three years that the Rams are offering, that's not up to Marvin. That's not in his control. So I think he probably advocated it. because I think he understands. I think everyone understands. If you're not going to hit every draft pick, you need to supplement your team through free agency, and the Bengals have failed to do that. And if he's ever going to win, that needs to be a big part of, the, of this team and the structure of the organization. So if you went in there, and this is a long-winded answer of what I think happened, but if you went in there and said, this is what I need, this is how we're going to win, if we're ever going to win something, these changes have to be made. I need to have full control of, of what's going on with this team, and, and we have to be more open to outside players. And if Mike Brown said, okay, that's the best-case scenario for us. 
you know, continuing with Marvin under the, uh, the under the assumption that we're continuing with with Marvin, and now that we know we are, that's the best case scenario. Is that this team hopefully moves forward with the coaches they want and with the potential to bring in free agents that can help this team. This is the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm James Erpine. He's Joe Goodberry. It is great to have you in on an evening edition of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Joe, there's so many different angles, so many different things to discuss here. I do agree with you, though, that the concept, uh, and I actually I did this either on the podcast, I might have done this on the podcast or on ESPN 1530, I said, regardless of who you get in as coach, they have to be more active in free agency. And that is something that has to happen, and I totally understand it, because the players play. Look, Marvin, say what you want. He might not make players as good as he needs to. Fine, I don't care. If you, get, go, if you go get better players in free agency and, the, and you draft right, then the Bengals will be pretty good. The problem with that is, is for 15 years, they haven't done that. For 15 years, they passed. I remember early on in Marvin's tenure, they were going to get Warren Sapp. Warren Sapp was really excited to come here and play for Marvin Lewis, which sounds silly. Mike Brown dropped the ball. He went to Oakland. Like, it's been that far, that long ago. Uh, more recently, Carlos Dansby, a couple years ago, has dinner yeah. with the Bengals, visits them. And it's like, oh, this is great, Carlos Dansby. And he leaves town. They let him go just to sign James Harrison, who doesn't fit their defense or play. It, what had happened to Carlos Dansby? He went on a one-year deal to, uh, I believe it was Arizona, blew up, had a great year, signed a multi-year deal in Cleveland the next year. They're awful at it. So Marvin always says, I see better than I hear. Until I see that they're going out and getting some of these guys, and, and then you're talking to a guy who does the podcast every single day, I can't buy into the fact that they're going to do it. Yeah, there's no guarantee. I, I'm with that. I want to believe. I do, because I'm a fan, like everybody else. Even though I'm tired of everything that's going on with the organization right now, I want to believe that they're going to be more active in this. And I... It takes more than just going out and signing guys because they have signed guys and they've botched it. Uh, you know, guys like Antonio Brown, Lavernius Coles, um, Antoine Odom was good, but he got hurt here. But even recently, Brandon LaFell was supposed to be a supplementary piece, not a focal point of the offense. He, you know, when you go and sign a Kevin Minter, you must have thought he was a little bit more than he actually was because when you get him and you're like, ah, yeah, actually, he can't cover. Uh, even though he played a thousand snaps for the Cardinals and played in their pass defense, once you got him here, you realized, yeah, that's probably not a good idea. He's probably just a base down, base defensive uh, uh, middle linebacker, um, and you know he's probably not worth this money, and he ends up not playing much. The, for whatever reason, whether it was medical staff watching it, watching the evaluation of like an Antonio Brown or a Lavernius Coles at the end of his career, not realizing he really didn't have much left, um, or it's scouting too. A lot of it is scouting, and they still have one of the smallest scouting departments in the league. And I don't think anybody would disagree or even think this is crazy to think that, obviously, they value guys they're familiar with in free agency. They lost Andrew Whitworth. What they do? They signed Andre Smith within, like, two or three days. And they know Andre Smith. That's why. And they bring back Michael Johnson because they know him. They bring back Pat Sims because they know him. They brought back Ray Maluga for a workout just a few weeks ago because they know him, and it's because their scouting staff is still small. Their pro personnel department has to have grades on every single player in the NFL. That's what a lot of teams do. They have grades on everybody, and as soon as a guy is released, they're like, ooh, we like him. Well, that guy's got potential. You can pick this guy up, and you can use him. But the Bengals act as if 
they have no idea who these guys are on these other teams. And other teams end up picking them up and getting solid production from them, whether it be your third or fourth running back in the middle of the year or in free agency, getting bargain free agent guys. Um, you know, it, it just hasn't, it's just not going out and offering contracts and offering big money because you lose more than you win in free agency that way. And because the Bengals are going to be cheap, because they're going to be um, selective with the money they spend in free agency, because you have to be, because it's a lot of money. You're going to spend more than you would normally mm-hmm. if the guy was on your team. You have to have a very good pro personnel department and scouting staff. You have to be accurate. You have to be sure. You have to be confident in the guy you're signing that not only will he fit because you can't just plug and play. Guys have to fit your scheme. You have to be, you have to know what this guy's strengths and weaknesses are and how you can use them from your from your scouting department to your coaches in unison so that when he hits the field, he's the same player or maybe even better sometimes for your team. And that's the part I want to know about. Are they hiring scouts? How are they changing the pro personnel department? Because it's not just the money because that that is an issue. They don't give up the guaranteed money. Um, even Marvin said, well, well, check, we're top five in cash spent over the last so many years. It's really top 15, but that's not the point. The point is they're the lowest in guaranteed money in the entire NFL out of every team. Out of uh, 32 teams, they give out the least amount of guaranteed money, and that's how you attract free agents. But it's more than that. It's making sure you're putting that money into the right players that are going to fit your system. And they haven't done that either. So that's another part of this equation. Yeah, it is. And I'll bring up a couple, because I bring up Marvin Jones. And every time Marvin Jones gets brought up, fans instantly say, and it's true from what I've heard, they say, well, no, Marvin wanted to go be the number one option somewhere. He wanted to go to Detroit or somewhere and be the guy. And let's just say uh, that was the case and that's what he did and the Bengals couldn't have done anything money-wise to keep him here. That's fine. But what they did is they went out in their most successful outside free agent recently, to, to my memory, has been Brandon LaFell. Their, their best outside free agent they've brought in and, and had success with has been Brandon LaFell, who's been just a mediocre player. And the perfect example that offseason about a guy that the Patriots scouted, realized could be a deep threat and could get for very reasonable money, and I don't have the money in front of me, but it's Chris Hogan. He's a restricted yeah. free agent from Buffalo, and he hadn't had a ton of production. You'd be more familiar since you're up that way. But Chris Hogan's a perfect example of that, of the Patriots filling a need, a downfield threat, and not breaking the bank. That's the type of player that the Bengals, they have to find those type of guys. And I get it. You're not going to go spend like the Giants have on defense in recent years. Totally understand that. I don't want that because you, you end up in cap, cap room hell, to be honest. But they have to be able to do free agency right. They figured out a way to do the draft right for the most part, especially last year. I think they nailed the draft. they got to figure out that free agency aspect. And the Patriots are a great example of this. And it's hard to emulate the Patriots in a lot of ways because they have Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. But the way they conduct free agency and the way they, they sign and acclaim guys and especially work with restricted free agents and move around the draft to acquire the guys they want can be emulated and should be by almost every team. And that's what sets them apart as a franchise and as a football organization. And I truly believe that. Even though they have a Hall of Fame combo at the most important spots, it's the little things. It's They knew Rex Burkhead could be better than what he's shown with the Bengals. They knew Mike Gillisley could be a restricted guy. They figured out we can give up a, a, a fifth, sixth, seventh rounder for these guys, guys like Chris Hogan, Wes Welker a few years ago. Remember a few years ago, 10 years ago at least now, right? But <laughs> they knew 
that guy will fit. And not only will he fit, he can be dynamic in our offense. And that's the that's the part where I get envious because they'll sign a Darrell Rivas for fourteen million. They'll they'll sign a Stephon Gilmore for fifteen million. And but they also make the little moves. And those little moves are the ones that help them because they're not a great drafting team. They miss as much as anybody. Mm-hmm. Those those little moves that no one else is competing for that you spend a really little bit of money on ends up being the difference for them in the long run. And of these guys that can constantly contribute. And they're constantly signing guys like me or James Harrison recently. But it could be a lineman. It could be a defensive end. They're constantly bringing in former first-round picks, which is something the Bengals did a lot before and that I enjoy because it's a shot in the dark. Maybe these guys will end up producing for you. Maybe they won't be anything. But at least it shows you're bringing in talent. And it always made sense from the Bengals' standpoint because, like I said, they probably scouted those guys. They're probably comfortable knowing those, those former first-round picks at least from their scouting report from their from that draft year. But the Patriots will do that often. Mm-hmm. And they constantly find ways. Patrick Chung is the guy I think of. He was with the Eagles as a safety. Um, didn't really do much for them. They bring him, and he is a dynamite player in the back end for them. Uh, they'll move uh, uh, McCourty and move him from corner to safety. He ends up being one of the best uh, safeties in the league. The Bengals haven't had a low-round guy or a guy from another team that they signed late in the year or to the practice squad and brought him up that came up and been a good contributor for them in a long, long time. And um, it just doesn't happen enough for the Bengals. They just don't let those bottom-of-the-roster guys end up making an impact on the team. And that's probably a whole other discussion other than free agency. But I think it's all tied together in knowing what your guys can do without putting them on the field and seeing it live. I feel like the Bengals need to see them in the Bengals' stripes on the field playing against the Steelers to know what they have when it shouldn't take that much. There's projection. There's, there's looking at it and looking at a guy on film on another team in another Jersey. And sometimes even in a lower level in college and saying, I can use that guy. He can fit our scheme. He provides what, what, what we like, and he can offer uh, something to the team. And, it's something that's missing. So I wanted to hear today, out of a lot of things, I wanted to hear about free agency. I wanted to hear that Paul Alexander was gone. So they hit on both of those. I wanted to Marvin. I wanted Marvin to say we need to get better production at quarterback, and he he mentioned that a few times. Um, and I think the other thing is I I wanted to hear that what the specific upgrades to the franchise would be uh, going forward, and one of them was scouting for me. He's Joe Goodberry. I'm James Erpine. This is the Locked on Bengals podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes, the iHeartRadio app, also Megaphone, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Joe, you mentioned Andy Dalton, and one thing that Marvin Lewis hinted at, as far as offense goes, they want to throw the ball downfield more. And Mm -hmm. that sounds good, and I love the idea of that. But the fact of the matter is, is going into 2018, and I know running the ball will certainly be a priority, but I want the ball out of Andy's hands more so than I want it in his hands. He hasn't thrown the ball well downfield. Like, to me, that, and I know it's just one thing, and he might have just thrown it out there to get fans excited or, or is attempt for that. The last thing I want is to watch Andy Dalton airmail a bunch of deep balls out of bounds next season. I agree with that. And um, I do think part of that is saying because uh, you want to get the fans excited. But I also believe a part of it is, and when you look at the best offenses in the league and the best teams, the consistent factor, the consistent statistic with those with those teams are explosive plays. You can't have these 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 play drives consistently. If you're banking on your team gaining five yards every play, 
they're going to make a mistake, especially when Andy Dalton's your quarterback. This, this, the, the Patriots can do it because they have Tom Brady, and eventually he's going to convert on that third down if they miss one. But with Andy Dalton, that's not always the case. And then with, with a struggling offense all around, that's not the case. They're going to make a mistake more times than not. It's the explosive plays on good offenses that put up points, put up yardage, and really make it so that your defense has a comfortable lead and can play differently. Uh, the Bengals are in tight games all the time for no reason. How many times have they gone up 17-7 to and just for that other team to come back into it? Because it never feels like they put their – their, their foot on their throat or on the gas pedal, and it's because they're not an aggressive offense, because they're not throwing downfield, because they're, they either for, they don't have the confidence, they're not structured that way with only having A.J. Green really as a deep threat. It was something we harped on last offseason and said they needed to get speed. It, it, the, the way defenses were playing, A.J. Green in 2017 and 2018, that's the reason Tyler Boyd got open against the Ravens on that last play. If you watch the All-22 on that, the one safety playing deep is shaded so far to green that there's nobody over top of Boyd in the slot. And he ends up catching a pass. The other safety is out of position, and he, and he makes a play. Maybe Boyd can help in that. But we know John Ross is, is going to have to help in, that, in the future and being a deep threat. Um, and I know Andy's strength isn't there. But you have to do it because you're going to get pass interference penalties. You're going to get illegal contacts. You're going to, you're going to force defenses to spread it out to stretch down the field, and you're going to have open holes in the middle and, and underneath. And if you look at the best offenses, they understand this. The Patriots will play, you know, the dink and dunk all day, but then they'll throw one deep ball. And Brady's not a good deep, uh, deep ball thrower. But because of it, they get one-on-one situations, and sometimes he lays it in there, and it's a Brandon Cooks or it's a, it's a Hogan or sometimes it's Gronk. But they do it to get the defense to back up and get away from them. The Bengals so often have this defense crunched down within 10 yards that it's so hard for them for the, to do their quick passing offense and, and, and really keep Dalton within his strengths that they have to throw it downfield. And it has to be a part of this offense much more than it's been. Joe, I looked at it and I saw Bill Lazor, the offensive coordinator, is hanging around. And I get it. I understand the fact that they want some continuity. They want to see what a, an entire offseason with Lazor at the helm would do. But I look at it, and I just see the, the, the numbers, and I, I get it. They're going to change the personnel some. To me, I wasn't on board with Marvin returning. I wasn't on board with Paul Alexander returning. I wasn't on board with Bill Lazor returning, fair or unfair. Uh, but it's just how I felt. What are your thoughts fair. on Lazor? Um, I wished they would, and I guess I feel the same way I, I do as the head coaching situation. I, I wish they would take a chance to strike gold and yeah. find a guy that, you know, I guess, Sean McVay. I want them to find the next guy. I want them to find the guy that makes his quarterback better because he's smarter than everybody else, because he's scheming guys open, because he's, you know, got an offensive system that works. I'm not sure Laser does that. I think he is okay and better than their 32-ranked offense. Um the thing you hear, man, about like Paul Alexander, and it's more than just the offensive line, and it's more than him being a, a strong voice as the assistant head coach and, and being a, uh, a longtime member uh, under Mike Brown of, the, of this team um, and being in the scouting you know, room and selecting the guys he wants. And it sounds like he had his hands in the running game a lot, and it was an issue, and people didn't like it. And he was very old school. He was stuck in the early 2000s, and – 
he rejected a lot of new stuff that they wanted to do and new stuff that's going around the NFL and it kept them stagnant and it showed. And if that's, if what I was told is right, it makes sense looking back at it and it makes sense why he's gone on the first day. Like he will not return. And it, it gives you hope that maybe this offense can be better. And how much did he affect this offensive line? Look at the last two weeks, man. It looks like they ripped the control from him and was like, listen, we're going to do what we want to do. We're going to play the guys we want to play. Uh, Christian Westerman was was very, very good. He looks like a starting guard. Alex Redman had his moments. I think he's a power phone booth guy that can move somebody. Not as agile, but neither was Bobby Williams. Alex Redman looks like a right guard in a, in a power run offense. Um, Christian Westerman looks like a starting left guard for sure. I, 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 I'm really interested if he can play center because a lot of people projected him that way. Um, but those moves, it, it, we blame Marvin because – that it wasn't just the offensive line. They would do that at a lot of positions and not play guys until very late or not activate rookies or young guys um, early in their career. But it sounds like a lot of it was Alexander in more than just the offensive line. Uh, he really cut the legs out of the running game um, and, and was was very strong-minded about it and had a lot had a lot to say about it. And um, he influenced a lot on the offensive side of the ball. So him being gone, maybe that helps Laser. Uh, Dalton's stats were okay under Laser. Although, looking at it, he had numbers at the end of the year that were very reminiscent of his rookie and sophomore year, and that's not good enough. His Mm -hmm. completion percentage under 60% for the first time since his rookie year. Yards per attempt were way down. Uh, QBR, which I really like from ESPN, was his career low. Um, There was a lot of issues. There was a lot of missed throws. And then you get the last game where he has three touchdowns. I thought the offense, for the most part, managed really well until uh, third third quarter, which has been the MO, I think, all year of them struggling in the second half to produce anything. I think that has to change. For sure, it has to change uh, next year. People say Laser didn't have a chance to uh, really install his complete offense because he had to take over for Ken Zampezi. I think there's truth to that. And I think at that point, you don't have a quarterback's coach. He's kind of double-dutying. Things can slip a little bit at that position. So it looks like they'll bring in a quarterback's coach. They'll go with Laser in a full offseason. Um, maybe things get better there. Uh, I'm not too hopeful. I wanted to strike gold. I wanted to catch lightning in a bottle, whatever saying you have for just getting lucky because that's how I feel this franchise has to get at head coach, quarterback, whatever whatever those major positions are. They have to get lucky if we're ever going to win anything substantial. Yeah, I agree. Joe's on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. This is the Locked on Bengals podcast. By the way, breaking news as we do this, uh, Sporting News reporting that the Bengals are retaining Jonathan Hayes as tight ends coach, so uh, another uh, position coach retained, and I'm fine with that. I think the tight ends have been fine. But the one win today, I I will say, is Paul Alexander. I'll say a couple things here. I feel comfortable saying them now, especially that uh, the season's over. I know for – or I I have it on pretty good accord that the reason that Christian Westerman and Alex Redmond didn't play earlier in the season is because Paul Alexander said they weren't ready. And, yep. and, and it was him leading that. And obviously that's bull. <laughs> obviously, even if they gave you like three quarters of what they gave you week 16, that's an upgrade from what you had in my mind, at least a rotation, something. It was it was worth giving them a look. Uh, the other thing with Paul Alexander, and the, the one guy that's always had Paul's back is Willie Anderson. And, and he, Paul was Willie Anderson's coach throughout uh, the majority of his career, except for his year yep. in Baltimore. Uh, but... Anthony Munoz, Willie Anderson, both have have expressed interest in working with and working with Cedric Abuehi and working with these linemen and doing things. And I know 
Basic, yeah, actually, I'll say, I know for a fact that Paul Alexander, it bothered him. He didn't want them stepping on his toes, so to speak, or getting in his way or, or teaching them the wrong techniques or whatever the hell it is. All I know is, is Willie Anderson and Anthony Munoz know more about offensive line play than Paul Alexander, in my mind. I mean, that's how I look at it. And, and when you look at what Cedric Abwehi had done, and what Jake Fisher had done, why not get those guys in to help during a training camp or during a practice or during an OTAs? Uh, freaking Anthony Munoz was up there in Cleveland helping them, <laughs> like in Browns gear, because they yeah, were open that. to they the idea. Sickening. Yeah, they, they were open to the idea, and down here they weren't. So if one of those things, it, 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 under radar moves, is Paul Alexander going, and that opens the door to some former players coming back to help, why not? I just want good open-minded coaches and it seemed like he definitely well a lot of people said he's a good offensive line coach and maybe his techniques were um sometimes unique and it took a little bit of transition from other teams and maybe from other uh from college uh he definitely wasn't open-minded and that is something you can't be in today's nfl i don't think you can you know you can't shut down things that are working around the league uh you can't shut down what the differences between colleges and the NFL are and how they're merging and how in order to get guys to play better, you have to adopt some of that stuff. And then at the same time, think of the years they really had a Super Bowl window. And one of the major issues on offense was at center at Russell Bodine. And mm-hmm. that was Paul Alexander's guy. And he backed him hard um, to the point of trade up for him. He's our guy. He's our starter day one. They never brought in anybody to challenge him despite uh, bad results for the most part, even though I think Odin's had a decent year this year, you know, considering uh, his, his, his time in Cincinnati, I think this is probably his best year. At the same time, you let three years go by where he clearly wasn't ready to do it. And he blew up more plays on offense than anybody. That includes Jeremy Hill and Andy Dalton and then whoever else was out there that, was, that messed things up. It was Russell Bodine doing the most of that work. And Alexander wouldn't take anything. And he, Stood by him harder than anybody, and uh, it may have it may have set back some really good offenses, and I, it probably did, and I think it did. Uh, so I'm just open for somebody to come in, um, even if it's working with Willie Anderson and Anthony Munoz. That sounds great, and and if not, um, just be open to the guys you have and saying, you know, even though I drafted a Cedric Abuayi, not saying this new guy, you know, obviously didn't, but. I'm open to benching him, or I'm open to benching Russell Bodine until he gets better, more than just one series or, or three snaps to T.J. Johnson. But I'm willing to say, okay, the best offense may be not the guy I drafted, but it might be Clint Bowling at left tackle. And then, you know, I know those tests I give out every week for Christian uh, Westerman and Alex Redman, they're not, you know, they're not scoring as high as I'd like. But, you know, let's put them out there at left guard and let's see what they can do because the real the real – image you get from a player is what they do on the field and these guys produce and it, you know if that's the risk you have to take when you have one of the worst offensive lines in the league you have to realize you do it's not you know it's not the, it's not the players you got to switch it up sometimes it's the coach so i'm it's the biggest thing for me on, on offense is them changing paul alexander and getting him out of here joe one thing yeah i i agree i agree i think that's going to be a huge change i don't know i don't know who the defensive coordinator is going to be um, one thing Marvin did say that's interesting, and I only understand some of the ins and outs, so I'll run it by you. He didn't commit to staying in the 4-3. Knowing this personnel, uh, is that something – again, I know it's it's super football-y, but you're the guy to ask about it. Is that – that's a big transition, a big change 
Is that something when you look at this personnel of this team that they could consider doing is switching from a 4-3 to a 3-4? Yeah, they can. I don't think it's a, as big as it used to be. Um, 90s, for sure, it, was a, it would be a huge change. Early 2000s to mid-2000s, it's still a good change. Now the game is 65% nickel defense. And what that means is you've got four pass rushers, two linebackers. I don't care if the two guys on the edge are standing up. I don't care if, you know, the, you kick defensive ends inside to play defensive tackle in that situation. You need two guys that can cover at linebacker. You need four pass rushers. It, that's, that's most of your game. Um, you're only going to play with the same 11 guys out there for 10% of your, of your season on defense. It's, you're going to have a rotation of guys. And if, let's say, we're just talking base defense. So nickel defense, it probably looks exactly how it looks now. Fans, maybe, I don't know how long Michael Johnson's going to keep playing, Chris Smith on the inside, um, things like that, and maybe a different linebacker's in here next year. But just base 3-4 versus 4-3, a 3-4 defense would probably look like Andrew Billings at nose tackle. I think he's cut out for that. That's mostly what he played at Baylor. You would move um, – Atkins to more of a three-tech, shaded a little bit more inside, I think, and more of a 3-4 or 4-3 over kind of look. But he, he played defensive end, basically. Um, Carlos Dunlap, I'm kind of in between. I think he could play DN. He's basically 290 at 6'6", 6'7". He has the size for that. Uh, so you're at your defensive line look like Billings, Atkins, and, and Dunlap. Your edge guys in your base defense in perfect size for it, and, and a lot of teams thought they'd play this position anyways, but Carl Lawson and, and Jordan Willis two guys they just drafted being your edge guys and your outside linebackers. Um, and then inside right now, probably Nick Vigil and, and Vontez Perfect. I could see them drafting a linebacker at some point, but those look like your two guys on the inside. And that is a good front seven, and it's largely the same guys they've had, except you're adding in a Jordan uh, Willis instead of uh, a Vinnie Ray, a Kevin Minter, or whoever was playing, or Jordan Evans playing that third linebacker role, which I think would be potentially an upgrade. So, uh, they could get better. It would take a transition. I don't know who their coordinator could be. It, 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 maybe it's Chuck Pagano. Maybe it's Jack Del Rio. Both of them kind of played like a three-four hybrid, and in, in with the Raiders and with the with the Colts um, and with the Ravens for Pagano. So that would make sense. I think it's a hybrid league, though. I think you get your best players out there and you rush the passer, and that's what's important. Doesn't matter if they're hands up or hands down. Lawson did it at Auburn. He can do it. Um, but a lot of three-four teams end up just with. Two defensive ends in the inside. Think of the Steelers. It's Casey Hayward and Stephon Tuitt on the inside and in nickel. And um, and they got Bud Dupree and T.J. Watt at, on the edge. That's that's the Bengals. It would be Dunlap and Atkins, and it would be Willis and um, and Lawson. And it's that sounds perfectly fine to me. This is the Locked on Bengals podcast. I'm James Rapine. He's Joe Goodberry. Make sure you check out LockedOnBengals.com and give Joe a follow on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. Joe. The one thing when Marvin came back, the the thing I thought of the most is that this organization, it just it's not going to think outside the box. It's not going to do. Honestly, it's it it was crazy to think that they drafted the way we wanted them to, because we rarely agree with what they do (laughs) and vice versa. We rarely sync up. It it rarely do. And, And we did last year during the draft. Looking ahead just a bit to this draft. And I know Marvin was. Semi-critical of Andy, he said today during the press conference he needs to do a better job of making throws, keeping his eye downfield when he is under pressure. But at the same time, I don't know if Marvin would entertain. Actually, I'm going to say he wouldn't. I doubt Marvin would entertain the idea of bringing in a quarterback early. First two rounds. They have the 44th pick, I think, and the 12th pick. I don't think they consider a quarterback that early, and if they don't do that 
Well, that really bugs me <laughs> because I think that's exactly what they needed to do this offseason. I think the hard part of being on a constant one- or two-year deal as a coach is not having the comfort. And, and Marvin Lewis, that should have, have the most comfortable seat in the NFL right? as a coach. But <laughs> when it comes to having the foresight and trying to build your team, you're kind of in the win-now mode as much as you can be in this franchise. And uh, that doesn't lend you to drafting a quarterback highly. Um, now they've had opportunities to think about it, and I think there was a couple times they did get close to Excuse me. They did get close to uh, drafting a quarterback, or at least entertain the idea as much as you possibly can when you have a solid starter. Um, the thing is, they end up picking 12th now, and that pushes you a little bit back, a little bit farther than you probably wanted to be if you were going to entertain quarterback. Um, I think when I hear Marvin talk, though, he's talking about we can win with Andy if we build around him. A lot of things you'll hear parroted from not just fans but writers. Trying to get back to 2015 and trying to get that production out of the quarterback position. And that includes getting a new offensive lineman in here, probably one in free agency and one in the draft. Um, you know, considering you may have found two starters in these last couple of weeks, you may have found three. I mean, Clint Bowling may be an offensive tackle. He doesn't have the typical traits, uh, but he produced pretty well in those final two weeks. Maybe he's a right tackle, maybe he's a left tackle with a full season or offseason under his belt. But I think you may have found two starters or at least one in, in Westerman and Redmond. Um, and maybe that means one of them plays right, one of them plays left. I thought Hopkins was okay this, this year. Maybe he can, in his second year, play more. Um, but that means you have to go into free agency and dip in there and, and find a guy to start, whether that's at center or at offensive tackle. And if you're at 12 and you draft a tackle and there's three guys that are really there, Connor Williams from Texas, who looks like, the guy who's probably a left tackle out of the top three, I think the other guys are probably right tackles in Orlando Brown from Oklahoma, and then Mike McGlinchey from Notre Dame. The problem is also the best offensive lineman in this draft, Quentin Nelson from Notre Dame, is a guard. And that sucks because he might be there at 12, <laughs> and he looks like an all-pro player, honestly. He looks like a top three guy in this draft, like an instant impact guard. David DeCastro type, Kevin Zeitler even, uh, uh Martin, Zach Martin for the um, for the Cowboys. He looks like that, and you would want that. But is it on a five year rental, or is it? You know, we understand that we need to make this offense line as good as possible, and we need to take this guy in five years or five years, and we'll worry about it afterwards. I would hate it on the heels of losing Kevin Zeitler under the impression that they won't pay a guard, which ended up being what they didn't do. Um, I would hate to draft a guard, even though he may be the best player. They may have to go look at a tight end. Tyler Croft had a really good year, but he's not dynamic. I don't think anyone's scared of Tyler Croft on defense. You know, he's not a guy you're going to win one on one with. Um, you would love to get a mid round guy that's an athlete. Uh, I'm thinking of this past year with um, Evan Ingram or uh, like a Jordan Reed. If you can get mm -hmm. one of those guys to pair with Tyler Croft, that would be dynamic for your offense. I still love a year two John Ross and the idea of it. I liked what Tyler, Bo Tyler Boyd showed the last two weeks. I think he can upgrade from LaFell and offer a little bit more athleticism and run after the catch. Uh, but LaFell's still going to be part of this offense. I just think they think it's an easier path to get back to 2015 than it would be to draft a quarterback. But you know me. You know how I feel about it. If there's a franchise guy there, you can't shut the door on it. Dalton's 30 years old. If your team isn't going to be competitive again for another year, maybe two years, completely, so you got to, you know, I'm talking Super Bowl window type. Dalton's 32, 33 at that point. You got to sign him again. It'll be. It won't be as cheap as it was this time. Um, 
you got to look at quarterback and you have to be open to it because look at the Chiefs. You use them a lot, and I, I use them too. Mm-hmm. They traded up. They had Alex Smith. They got to the playoffs. They realized it wasn't enough. They realized if they're ever going to win something, and Smith is a couple years older, so I'll give him that. But Smith also might be a, a half a notch better than Andy Dalton, too. He's more athletic. Um, but, yeah, well, for sure. And probably more accurate, I would say, on a consistent basis. Even though he doesn't test the ball as much as Dalton does and he doesn't throw it deep as much as Dalton does, he has this year with Tyreek Hill, so I think that, that'll really help you, obviously. But point being is they saw Patrick Mahomes and they said, he might be the guy. Now, we're not sure he's better than Alex Smith. He may never be better than Alex Smith, but potentially – he may be an elite quarterback, and potentially, and within a year, he could be better than Alex Smith, and he could be the difference of us dropping out in the first or second round in the playoffs and, and making a deep run. And they traded up and gave up next year's first-round pick, secure the quarterback they believed can be a franchise guy. And that type of confidence spell is wonders for me. Like, can you imagine if the Bengals did that? If they said, you know what, we believe, I don't care who it is. I, I don't love Josh Allen, but if they said, Josh Allen is the guy we think is if we move up to number six and we're taking him because I think Josh Allen in a year, we're going to bench him under behind Andy Dalton for a year. And in a year, he's going to be dynamic and he's going to take our offense to new heights. You know what? I would say, yes, let's do it. And I don't even believe Josh Allen is that guy, but I would be so into it because that's the type of confidence you have when you make a pick and you make a move to, to get in position to take a quarterback like that, that I think feeds everyone. Look mm-hmm. at the 49ers with Jimmy Garoppolo, right? This team is probably picking number two. What yeah. changed on that team Nothing. for them to win five in a Jimmy. row and beat three playoff teams? Beat the Jags. The Jags had the best pass defense since the 2000 Ravens. They killed us. They, he scorched them. He, he shredded them. The Titans, the Rams, all three teams are making the playoffs. And Jimmy Garoppolo throws 300 yards, no problem, and, and they go 5-0. and oh. They, nothing changed. That's a bottom five roster. But you know what? The whole team believes we got our quarterback, and everybody played better because of it. It affects the defense, the special teams. Coaches look like geniuses all of a sudden. I want that. And if you're not going to strike or you're not going to buy a lottery ticket at head coach or, or, or coordinator, and they didn't, I want to buy a lottery ticket at quarterback because I think you've got to win somewhere or get lucky somewhere for a franchise like the Bengals if you're ever going to come away with a ring and a championship. And I think that's what everyone's here for. Yeah, I completely agree. Marvin talks championships. Well, the best way to do that. I've watched crappy organizations like the Colts are poorly run. The Packers are probably the most overrated ran franchise in the history of of sports. They're the Bengals. Exactly. They're the Bengals. They don't participate in free agency. They don't make super crazy, splashy moves, but they ran into Brett Favre and then Aaron Rodgers. Like, that's what the Bengals need. That's why, to me, they have to look and look and look and look. And I'm afraid now with Marvin, it seemed like the offseason that they would do it because it would be a new head coach, new offensive coordinator, new mindset change. And now it just feels like they're going to build around Andy. And I don't know why, because. I'm going to buy in. They'll probably make some moves that I like, and I guarantee you I'm like, okay, well, Ross is coming back, A.J. Green's in his prime, Andy, Vetterline, Joe Mixon, Giovanni Bernard, the defense probably makes some different moves, William Jackson again. Like, I'll buy in, but at the end of the day, I I promise this. I I will never think that they are a legitimate Super Bowl contender no matter what they do. I didn't think it in 15. Their roster was very good. But but were they really going to go to Foxborough and win? Hell no, I wouldn't have picked them to do that. Were they really going to go to Pittsburgh and win? And they didn't have to. I get that. To me, 
if you if you want to be taken seriously as a contender, no one's going to take Blandy Dalton and Marvin Lewis together seriously. You just committed to Marvin. Why not look at quarterback? And if nothing's out there, fine. Keep Andy. You're not right. the Browns. You don't have to get a, get a quarterback. But I'm saying exactly. look at that. Like, to me, a quarterback should be the first, second, and third position they evaluate and then worry about those linemen, which every fan is worried about, later. Like That's just how I look at it. And if the quarterbacks suck, yep. then look at Connor Williams. And that's why free agency is also important. Because if you can fill your holes before the draft, it allows you to have that freedom and allows mm-hmm. you to be bolder with your picks. And now I don't want them to take risks and take guys they're not sure about. What I'm saying is take positions that you don't need to hit right away. Let's be honest. They needed John Ross this year, and that's why they did it. They knew they needed speed at receiver. They knew receiver would be an issue again if he didn't make the impact they expected with that pick. He didn't, and their offense sucked because of it. And it wasn't only Ross, but you know what I'm saying. Because they weren't participating and because they lost people in free agency, it works the same everywhere else. You have to make these selections because you have glaring holes still when it comes to April when you've had a whole month to sign guys, month and a half really at that point. If you can participate in free agency, fill these holes, secure your lineup and, and most of your roster, you can have flexibility to take the best player. You don't have to target guys. I think of a couple of years ago in the drafts that really put them in a position to have these losing years where they targeted Jeremy Hill in the second round. It was Dave Lapham before the second round even started saying, they like Carlos Hyde and Jeremy Hill. They'll take one of those guys. They take Jeremy Hill. Now, that's how, how do you know who they're taking before you even get on the clock and yeah. you're sure of who's the best player? He said they like Russell Bodie. He said they like Will Clark. That's who they took. I mean, <laughs> you get there and Trey Turner is there, right? A guard tackle sort of for, from LSU. You could take Trey Turner or you could take Will Clark. We really need a defensive end. We really like Will Clark. We're taking him. But Trey Turner, you, don't, you may not need a guard that year. But it, take the best player, take the guy with the most upside, and then maybe in a year you got a you got a Pro Bowl type guard, or in two years, and that's what made them really good. That's when they had their really good drafts. Is when they doubled up at positions, and because the best guy was there, Marvin Jones in the fifth round. Why? Because he's the best guy, and they've got so many picks. Get in those situations again where you're not drafting to fill immediate needs, but you're drafting because you like these guys and you know uh, that. You know, or you feel confident as, as much as you can in the draft that these guys will turn into something a little bit more. And um, you know, I think the lack of free agency has really put them in position to make their margin of error in free agency rail thin in a league where it's already hard to draft and hit your draft picks. Um, so again, talking circles, I guess, with with free agency. But I just I do believe it's important, and I think it ties to the quarterback spot because if you can fill those holes, you might sit there and go, yeah. You know what? We really like Josh Rosen. The Browns made a mistake. They didn't take him. Or let's go up all the way to number two like the Eagles did a couple years ago to get Carson Wentz, or did they go to number one? Either way, they go up and get your guy. Um, I like that idea, and yeah. I like that confidence. Yeah, me too. Like The the Patriots are the perfect example. They're the blueprint. And I, I, look at it. They drafted Jimmy Garoppolo in the second round, and I know pretty well, or I've at least heard, that Bill Belichick wanted to trade Tom Brady. And he wanted to give the keys to to Jimmy Garoppolo, either last offseason or this offseason, because he knows how talented he is, how good he is. They used a second-round pick on him when they have the best quarterback on the planet. Yeah, Think about that. The best quarterback on the planet, they used a premium pick on a guy that rode the bench. Why? Because they knew that they would be able to address their needs with other draft picks 
or in free agency. They went and gave up their first-round pick for Brandon Cooks because they needed a deep threat, and they didn't want to wait around for guys like John Ross, who I love the pick, so did you. They didn't want to wait around for those guys to to develop and, and go through the ins and outs of the NFL and learn how to play at that level. They wanted a guy who could play now. And if Marvin Lewis is on this, let's go after it one more time. Let's get this roster back to 15. You're right, Joe. In free agency, they're going to have to find the now. Guys that come in and help them right away at the line, right away at linebacker. Not 35-year-old slow guys that can't help at linebacker. Not Ray Maualuga. Someone new, athletic, that's going to cost money, but they're going to have to do it, and it doesn't mean breaking the bank with the highest-paid guys, like you said. It's just got you got to be smarter, more efficient with it. Otherwise, I don't see how they get this roster back to 15 in any in the next couple years within Marvin Lewis's right. deal. Right. They're worse at coordinator right now, even though Hugh Jackson is having a, a rough go with the Browns. Um, I would say Laser is a worse offensive coordinator than mm-hmm. him, than Jay Gruden and, and Hugh Jackson. Um, we don't know who the defensive coordinator is at, at, at this point. That was Mike Zimmer then. That was a top guy. Even Paul Gunther is a good coordinator. I mean, it looks like he's going to get a, a job with the Raiders now. Um, you know, so sitting here today, they got to retool and rebuild the offensive line. Their weapons are way worse than it was in 2015 unless, unless Ross and Boyd come out of nowhere. Um, and not nowhere, I mean, but revive their careers. Um, yeah, I just don't feel the same confidence. I think they're a year or two away. And if they show a spark in 2019, I can already see it. And they show that, oh, man, we're really close. Maybe they get to the playoffs in 2019, and then Marvin comes back again, right? (laughs) 19. Dude, you understand, next year, this is what's going to happen. Next year, if they win eight or nine, or not eight, like nine or ten games and go to the playoffs, he's not going to go in a lame duck year. We're talking about an extension next year at this time. What do you think about that? I'm done talking to you. I'm serious. Think about it. You think he's going to go into a lame duck year again? I have thought about it, James. I have thought about it. I'm so tired. (laughs) I'm so tired. Go to sleep. He's he's Joe Goodberry. I'm James Rapine. Um, We're going to to cover the Bengals a ton. Joe, uh, thank you for joining me every single week this season. I know you're going to be doing some stuff for Locked on Bengals, and I'm sure I'll bother you on the podcast a ton. But uh, of course, I hope you do. Yeah, no, I will absolutely. Thank you for coming on and doing this. By the way, today because if I had to come on and do it by myself, it would have sucked and been really depressing. At least we could <laughs> we could joke about it a little bit. I did it by myself in the car ride home, so <laughs> I, I know what it was been like. I think no, <laughs> what? You know, you're in the car. You're looking. People are looking at you like you're crazy at a red light. Like, what is this guy going <laughs> off in there? And because I'm in Buffalo, everyone's happy right now because the Bills made the playoffs. But, yeah. And I'm, and I'm here, and and I'm, I'm at a red light, and I'm like, you know, this, this team and this, this coach, and the quarterback. And I'm so tired, and I'm, I look like a crazy man. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Especially because the Bills are riding high right now. Like if, oh, they're loving it. I, I'm glad. I'm happy for them because we, we talk about, oh, we haven't made the playoffs in a couple years. 99? I watched that game. That was awful. Oh. Uh, yeah, that, I remember that. That's one of the best games and I mean, it's one of the best and, and most historic moments, man. That, uh, Agreed. That throwback pass to win the game. Imagine that. That's nuts. You Imagine know what's crazy? Uh, imagine this. Marvin Lewis would never have that play call. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> no. He's never making and, that kind of play. And speaking of the Bills, though, for Dalton, I don't know if he knew or if the Bengals were even thinking. I mean, they, of course, they just want to win the game, beat the Ravens, eliminate the Ravens. But, man, I was feeling the pressure for for the Bills watching. I mean, I'm sitting here, and a lot of Bills fans, and they're like, they're like, oh, my God, is he going to do it? Oh, he sucks. Oh, no, he threw an interception on that one holding play. Um, and, you know, oh, come on, Dalton, do something. I mean, all the emotions Bengals fans go through, they were doing it as if they were Bengals fans. And then that play, man, all these videos of, like, Bills fans going nuts in the bar or, or even the players in the locker room. Yeah. That was the biggest throw of Andy Dalton's career, and I don't even know if he knew it. And it's just awesome to think of it from that perspective. It is, and that's why they should trade him to Buffalo. <laughs> they Listen, I've, I've joked with Bills friends plenty about, like, hey, take McCarron. They're like, we don't want McCarron. And I'm like, take Dalton. They're like, eh, you guys never won anything with him. And now they're like, yeah, I think I'd do that. We got for two first-round picks. You know, Dalton made that throw. Tyrod isn't making that throw. He doesn't make that throw. And I'm like, all right. Done. To, Dude, get him to, out. You guys about to get Andy Dalton. Yeah. <laughs> two first and Tyrod. I'll take Tyrod as the stopgap. <laughs> yeah. I just saw Andy Dalton's going to have five billboards put up for him and his wife's foundation around Buffalo saying thank you for the donations and this and that. And I'm like, I'm going to have to drive around in Buffalo and see billboards of Andy Dalton. Trade him to Buffalo. It's a, it's a per- The stock is high. Do it. Strike <laughs> while the iron's really- hot. Let's get our quarterback. And then use those picks to move up and get your guy. I, there's no we way. Play yet? Let's, there- let's play Madden. We'll stream it, and this is what we'll do. There's no way in hell that happens. There's no, like, there's zero chance. Like, there was a 3% chance I thought of Marvin coming back. There is 0% chance they do that. Andy's the guy. He's really good. He's our guy. <laughs> you saw that throw. He can do it. <laughs> I don't know what was, cr- like, caught me by surprise. The fact that Tyler Boyd outran two defenders and split them. Yeah. <laughs> or the fact that Andy Dalton makes that throw. Oh, God. Uh, I mean, that throw was really nice, man. Did you see the L22, the end zone angle? He sidesteps. He's, not only does he see it pre-snap, and you can see him uh, talk to talk to Boyd and talk to the offensive line. Move, he moves uh, cross out to block. He moves um, uh, Geo out up front to pick up the inside blitz. But he sidesteps the rush, throws it over a defender into, you know, not too far upfield so that the safety can get there, but just enough so it makes the safety kind of like – bend and break his own ankles to trying to adjust and Boyd looked faster than ever. I've never seen Boyd run that fast. I know. Tackle. It was insane. I honestly I celebrated like they were making the playoffs. It was really that game that was really fun. And especially that throw at the end was it was the high point in the season in a in a lost year. Yeah, that play and the Dunlap play were the two plays that, that stand yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but what you know what was weird about the Dunlap one is I didn't feel the same excitement because they were so bad at I felt point. relief. Right. That's exactly. I felt like they were going to blow it. I was embarrassed the entire game. (laughs) And he came up, and I'm like, and I was like, oh, of course they win now. And of course Dunlap had to save them because he's jumping for the ball. And I was like, I was angry almost. I was like, yeah, good win. Good job, Dunlap. Your best player's got to make plays. But I didn't feel like this. This was kind of like Marvin's last game. And now it wasn't. But, you know, there was just, there was fun in this one, even though they, they would have picked number nine if they would have lost. Stop it. Stop yeah. it. Don't, it. Bengals fans are like, well, Ross was nine, and what did he do? Good God. I hope I hope he kills it. Don't tell anyone this. I hope John Ross has <laughs> 1,500 yards next year. Honestly, I hope he outgains A.J. Green. 
You don't no, don't tell anyone I said that. Keep that between us. <laughs> He's Joe Goodberry. He's on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. This has been the Locked On Bengals Podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes, the iHeartRadio app, Megaphone, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also check out LockedOnBengals.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow on the Locked On Bengals Podcast. <laughs>